This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera. A mix of old school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones, the dice rule. There'll be no re-rolls, no fudging the dice, no metacurrency. The roll of the bones will determine the character's destiny, and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones. Having vanquished the Draugr King of Vortigern, the party returned to Four Rivers, only to find that the settlement had been attacked by brigands, and many of the inhabitants killed. Marvin, who survived the attack, relayed the events to the party, and revealed that one of the brigands had been captured, and another who had been killed carried a letter which incriminated Lord Cormoran's rival, Lord Polmere, in the attack, but also indicated that the Brethren of the Purifying Light had been meddling in the dispute between the two noble houses. The next day, the companions bade farewell to Marvin and Torsten, who had decided to stay and help rebuild. Taking the treasures from the mine and the captured brigand, a man called Clem, the companions began the journey back to Halstow. In the afternoon of the first day, the party encountered a pack of six wolves, who behaved in an uncharacteristic, friendly way. The she-wolf, which led the pack, made a connection with Lena, before making it clear that she wished the companions to follow her. Chapter 15, Part 1, Day 20, Late Afternoon, Party Status, Beric, 17 out of 17 hit points, Lena, 7 out of 10 hit points, Kia, 7 out of 7 hit points, Valen, 7 out of 7 hit points. Spells available, Valen has memorized Push and Shield. You can't leave me like this. The young brigand protested as Beric tightened the bonds around Clem's feet and hands and tied a rope from them to the wheel of the wagon. I'll do what I damn well please, Beric snarled. I'm not the one with innocent blood on their hands. But... The man started to protest again. I'd drop it if I were you, Kit interrupted, and Clem fell silent. The two men finished securing the wagon before running after Lena and Valen, who were already some 50 yards ahead, following the wolf pack up the incline towards the rocky outcrop known as a tor. The ground was soggy underfoot, and as the companions proceeded through the scrub, their boots and breeches quickly became wet through. Ahead, the wolf pack had already reached the tor, their forms silhouetted against the ashen sky, and now stood howling as they waited for the companions. The pack fell silent as the party arrived, and each of the animals watched the humans expectantly. The summit of the rise was even more exposed, and a westerly wind whistled and howled around the exposed granite tor, almost as if to mimic the wolves, or vice versa. 
the she-wolf approached Lena once again, holding the cleric's gaze. She barked once, before turning and leaping upon one of the boulders. She wants us to see something, Lena said. The companions approached, and as they did so, a faint, high-pitched bark could be heard. Kier climbed up first, before extending his hand to Lena to help her up. Once atop the boulder, the pair could see the source of the barking. What do you see? Bear cast. Between the rocks was a fissure, three feet wide, and beyond it, a black void. The she-wolf barked again, and from the inky blackness, the high-pitched bark sounded in response. A cave, Lena said in response to Beric. It's too dark to see, but it sounds like a cub is trapped. Well then, Beric said in reply, we're going to need rope and a torch. As this event was born out of a positive reaction roll from a wandering encounter, I am going to use the GM Oracle and some other random rolls to help me generate this location. Firstly, I want to know whether this is a single cave. A two. That is a straight no. Okay, so I am going to say there will be 1d4 plus 1 chambers. A one. So there will be two chambers. Next. I want to know how deep the drop is from the opening to the cave floor. I'm going to say 3d20 feet. Okay, 44 feet. Now I'm going to ask the oracle whether the cave has been used as a barrow. A 4. That's a yes but. Okay, so now I'm wondering whether the cave is being used by something else. A 4. That is another yes but. That but makes me wonder if whatever has been using the cave is dead. A three. That is a no but. Okay, so I have just made a custom encounter table for this cave, so let's roll to see what else is in there. Rolling a d12. A 12. The table indicates a special NPC. Given what else was on the table, that was a lucky roll. Having said that, I'm going to randomly roll what kind of NPC this is. A roll of one will be an escaped prisoner. A two will be a hermit. A roll of three will be a dark wizard or necromancer. A four will be another adventuring party. A five will be the saboteur from Four Rivers. And a roll of six will be a deserter of some kind. Let's find out what it will be. Okay, so I think that's given me enough to work with. Let's get back to the story. Chapter 15, Part 2, Day 20, Late Afternoon, Party Status, Beric, 17 out of 17 hit points, Lena, 7 out of 10 hit points, Kia, 7 out of 7 hit points, Valen, 7 out of 7 hit points, Spells available, Valen has memorised, Push, and Shield. Beric pulled against the rope to test it was secure, giving it several tugs and leaning from it with his full weight. The big man had retrieved the rope from his pack before tying it around a large rock, which he had then wedged between two boulders, 
If that could take my weight, it'll take yours, Beric explained to Kier as he threw the rope down into the cave. The companions had agreed that it made sense for Kier to climb down into the cave alone. He was the most nimble and a confident climber. Meanwhile, the rogue had lit a torch, which he now threw down after the rope. The flame spluttered, but stayed alight as the torch fell before it could be heard clattering on the floor below. Here, Beric said, handing Kier a backpack that had been emptied for the road to use to safely transport the cub. Be careful, the big man added. The rogue slung the empty pack across his back and swung his leg over the rope. He flashed the warrior a grin. Don't sweat it. I've done this a thousand times. And with that, Kier disappeared into the cave. Dramatis Personae, Kier. The chirping of crickets from the gardens of Godsport's wealthy residents marked the old town apart from the rest of the city, whose narrow streets and cramped buildings left no room for the luxury of such spaces. Here though, a walled garden was an important symbol of one's status, and the more exotic the plants, the better. The night air was heavy with the fragrant scent of lavender and jasmine, as Kier walked down the cobbled street that was lined with high walls on either side to keep people out like him. Just being in this part of town was a risk. Whilst he had obtained some respectable clothes for the occasion, if he was challenged by a watch patrol, his voice would instantly give him away as an undesirable and he would quickly find himself in a cell. But at this late hour, and the dim light of the waning moon, Kier judged the risk to be slim. Ahead, he saw a large magnolia tree overhanging the wall, marking his destination. The tree was in full bloom, with hundreds of white and pink flowers extended upwards from the branches. A nightingale's song could be heard from within the mass of the tree's inflorescence, and the rogue paused for a moment to enjoy the beauty of the bird's melody. A wry smile came to his lips, as he imagined what Silas would say if he could see him. Wasting no more time, he quickly scaled the twelve-foot-high wall, with no more difficulty than a child climbing into bed. And as he lifted himself onto the top of the wall, the nightingale ceased its music and flew off. The impressively sized garden was designed in the fashionable southern style, with symmetrical planting beds, gravel paths and a central fountain which gently burbled. Keir lowered himself to the ground, and after checking for guards and dogs, he quickly moved towards the rear of the large house to which the garden belonged. The three-storey building was made from stone and had a tiled roof, identifying it as the property of a wealthy and prominent citizen. The rooms on the second floor possessed tall, shuttered windows which led on to a stone balcony. Keir moved to the space beneath the window on the far right, where a large honeysuckle grew up the wall. Grabbing hold of the plant, he began climbing, the heady scent of the flowers filling his nostrils. Upon reaching the balcony, he lifted himself onto the platform. The soft glow of candlelight emanated from the gaps in the shutters, and beyond he could hear the murmur of voices. Really, Lilia? You should come to the temple. There's so much to see and learn, and I'm sure father would approve. A woman's voice said. What? And hang around some dusty cloister with even dustier priests? No thank you. Another woman responded. But why not? The first questioned. Because, dear sister, I'm not going to find a husband in the temple. Besides, it's dull. 
and I want some excitement before I'm shackled to a boring yet respectable man for the rest of my life. You would do well to do the same. There's more to life than chasing men, you know. Oh, Lena, you really are naive. It is not naive to wish for more for my life than to be a simpering trophy for a man I do not even love, the first woman said sharply. Oh, save me your sermons, sister. I'm not one of the flock. Have it your way, then. There was the sound of a door being closed abruptly. Hearing no further voices, Kia tapped gently on the shutters, and presently they were opened by a young woman, full-figured and pretty. She had green eyes, and her long auburn hair cascaded in tresses over the white shift that she wore. She smiled. I trust no one saw you. Nah, of course not. Kia replied with a smile of his own. Well then, she said, pulling him into the room and wrapping her arms around his neck. Show me some excitement. Climbing sheer surfaces is one skill that rogues are proficient at, even at lower levels. And as a second level rogue, Kier has an 88% chance of success. Now this also assumes that the rogue does not have access to a rope. So because Kier does, I'm going to increase this chance to 98%, meaning that there is still a slim chance of failure. Here is the roll on a D100. 77. The rogue comfortably shinnies down the rope. Chapter 15, Part 2, Day 20, Late Afternoon, Party Status, Beric, 17 out of 17 hit points, Lena, 7 out of 10 hit points, Kia, 7 out of 7 hit points, Valen, 7 out of 7 hit points, Spells available, Valen has memorised Push and Shield. Kier's feet gently touched the ground as his eyes slowly became adjusted to the gloom. The torch, which still burned, lay a few feet away, and Kier retrieved it before looking around. The opening from which Kier had descended was against the south wall of the chamber, which was approximately 40 feet in diameter. In the north wall was a tunnel which led off into the darkness, whilst upon the rock of the east wall were crude paintings depicting people and beasts, though the images were much faded by the weather of time. Below the paintings were a number of clay pots, some of which were broken, and other grave goods, though the chamber bore no other evidence of human burial. Scattered on the floor were the skeletal remains of several animals, mainly goats and sheep, who had probably fallen into the cave and perished. But more curiously, in the centre of the chamber, the remnants of a small campfire could be seen. Before Kier could investigate further, his attention was drawn by something moving near one of the carcasses. The rogue lifted his torch, and the light fell upon the wolf cub. The animal was the size of a terrier, and it was gnawing on a bone almost as large as it was. Yet it seemed unconcerned by the man's presence. Kier took off his pack and retrieved one of the pasties that Elsbeth had given them. 
before crouching down and holding the offering towards the cup. Here you go, fella, the rogue said softly. The young wolf cub dropped the bone and sniffed. Kia gently waved the pasty, and the cub cautiously approached. I am going to make a reaction roll to see whether Kia can gain the cub's trust. Kia gets a plus one to his reaction rolls, but I'm going to increase this to a plus two given that he is offering the cub food. Remember, with reaction rolls, higher is better. Here is the roll on 2d6. A 4, plus 2. This means that the cub is uncertain and it will require a second roll. Here we go again. A 7, plus 2. That indicates a friendly response. The smell of the food was too much for the young wolf to resist, and it came close. Kia dropped the pasty on the floor, and the cub began to devour it. You're hungry, Kia remarked as he gently patted it on the head and scratched it behind the ear. Amazingly, the cub appeared unharmed, and once it had eaten half the food, Kia picked it up with the pasty and placed it in the empty backpack. The animal was compliant and seemed unafraid, and was more than occupied by its meal. Kia tied the end of the rope securely to the straps before giving the rope a tug, which was the signal for Beric to start hauling it up. As the cub was lifted towards the daylight, Kia turned his attention to the campfire. The ashes had been scattered roughly, as if done so in a hurry, though a few wisps of smoke still drifted lazily before dispersing. Kia drew his sword, and lifting the torch above his head, proceeded towards the tunnel in the north wall. As soon as Beric had lifted the cub clear of the hole, the wolf pack began barking excitedly, and as the big man lowered the animal to the ground, the she-wolf came forward and began nuzzling and licking her young. The cub's stubby tail wagged as it pawed its mother excitedly. After a few minutes, the she-wolf turned to Lena, and holding the cloak's gaze, she bowed her head. Hernoth, watch over you, Lena said in response, and with that, the she-wolf turned and with her cub in tow, led the pack down the north slope. Lena stood for a long time, watching the pack slowly recede into the distance. After a while, she became aware that Valen had come to stand beside her. For some time, neither spoke nor looked at each other, instead keeping their eyes on the seven black shapes moving across the landscape. Perhaps you're right, Valen said, breaking the silence, though he did not turn his head. Perhaps our beliefs are not so different after all. Maybe, Lena said in response. Or maybe there is no single truth. Maybe it matters not, as long as the intent is pure. She turned now and looked at the mage, and he did likewise. But all I know for sure, all I know for real, is that knowing doesn't mean so much. Balan smiled. How true. How very true.
Back in the cave, Keir is moving towards the second chamber. Someone is hiding in the shadows of this cavern, so I need to make a few rolls to see what happens. Firstly, I'm going to make a hear noise check for Keir, who has a 2 in 6 chance of success. A 3. Keir detects no noise. The person hiding is a second level rogue, and as such has a 15% chance of avoiding being seen. Let's see whether they can escape notice. A 39. So the light of Keir's lantern falls upon them. Next, I'm going to make a reaction roll. If this goes badly, then Keir could find himself in one-on-one -on -one combat. Remember, higher is better. Here is the roll on 2d6. An 8. That indicates the person is uncertain and will require a second roll. A 7. That indicates the person is still uncertain or is willing to negotiate. This will require a third roll. Okay, we'll see how that plays out. Finally, whilst I'm here behind the screen, I'm going to make a roll to see whether there is anything of value in the sarcophagus. I am going to say that there is a 10% chance of something. Here is the roll of a D100. 08. I wasn't expecting that. Okay, so I'm going to roll a D6. On a 1 to 2, there'll be some coins. A 3 to 4, jewellery. A 5, a piece of armour. And a 6 will be a weapon. A 1. Okay, so I'm going to say that there is 3d6 times 10 silver. Right, let's see what happens. Chapter 15, Part 3, Day 20, Late Afternoon, Party Status, Kia, 7 out of 7 hit points. Grit and stones crunched underfoot as Keir cautiously made his way down the tunnel. For a moment, he considered extinguishing his torch, lest he attract some unseen enemy, but that would have left him blind and possibly more vulnerable. He knew that he had been foolhardy to follow the tunnel alone. Yes, he knew how to take care of himself, but he was no warrior, and he felt acutely aware of Beric's absence. He liked the big man. They were unlikely friends, but he found Beric to be warm and genuine, and despite what Kira had told him, he never felt judged. Perhaps fleeing Godsport was the best thing that had happened to him. He just hoped that Silas would never come looking. The tunnel bent to the left and continued for another 20 feet before opening into a small chamber, 30 feet in diameter. Like the previous chamber, this was a natural cavern. Thin ribbons of water trickled down the walls, which were covered in the same crude paintings and there were numerous items of earthenware placed near the far wall, against which was a sarcophagus, crudely constructed from ill-fitting stone slabs, and atop the lid were a pair of clay jars and an assortment of beads, brooches and pins. Keir held the torch high so his eyes would not be blinded by its glare, and as he did so, the hairs on the back of his neck prickled. He advanced cautiously into the chamber, and as the light from his torch cast further, his thoughts were taken back to the events at the Four Rivers Mine. He felt himself stiffen, and his heart began to pound in his chest. His palms were covered in sweat, and he adjusted the grip on his sword. What the hell am I doing, he thought. He had had a belly full of the dead walking around trying to kill him. He cursed under his breath, and slowly approached the ancient sarcophagus. The roughly worked slabs of granite were covered in a pale green lichen 
and the grave goods that lay upon the lid appeared undisturbed. Keir placed his sword and torch on the sarcophagus, knocking aside the pots which rolled around before falling onto the ground and smashing into pieces. He took a few of the brooches and pins, as well as a whalebone comb, and placed these in his pouch before pushing at the lid with both hands. It took considerable effort, but slowly the slab began to slide clear. When the gap was big enough, he retrieved his torch and peered inside. A skeleton lay within. No flesh remained, and only a few fragments of cloth clung to the yellow bones, giving no indication of whether these were the remains of a man or a woman. The sarcophagus was otherwise empty, aside from a clay jar which had been placed beside the head. The jar was filled to the brim with silver coins. Keir took the contents into his pouch, which was now full to bursting. Not bad, he said under his breath. Suddenly, he caught something moving out of the corner of his eye. Movement and the glint of torchlight upon steel. He grabbed for his sword, which scraped loudly against the granite lid. Spinning to the left, he raised his blade, ready to strike. Standing in a shallow recess in the wall was a man. Even in the dim light, Keir could see that he was perhaps 30 years old. He was tall, and his dark brown hair and beard were cut short. He had an aquiline nose and a prominent chin. His clothes, while grubby and torn, were not poor. In his hand he held a dagger, though his posture was one of defence rather than aggression. Keir pointed his sword at the man. Drop the blade, he commanded. The man hesitated. Drop it, Keir repeated. Unless you want to say hello to your entrails. What about you? The man said, trying to sound confident. You ain't in no position to negotiate. Not wanting to be crude, but mine's bigger than yours. And I've got three friends back there. Keir nodded back down the tunnel. The man seemed to consider this, perhaps trying to judge if the rogue was bluffing. All right, all right. The man said suddenly, dropping the dagger and showing the palms of his hands. Keir kicked the dagger away before waving his sword to indicate the man should move back down the tunnel. The man obliged, and after picking up the dagger, Keir followed with his sword pointing at the man's spine. Once back in the other chamber, Keir instructed the man to stand beneath the opening. Beric! The rogue called, and the big man's head appeared at the opening. I found this fellow down here! Send down the rope, will ya? Moments later, the rope dropped down. Right, up you go. When I get up, you and I will be having a little chat. Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. If you like what you've heard, then please consider giving it a five-star review in your podcatcher of choice. Positive reviews really do help the show reach new listeners. If you think that you would like to give voice acting a go, I would like to participate on the show, then please get in touch. I only have a couple of requirements. Firstly, is that you're a fan of the show. I guess that goes without saying if you're listening to this right now. And secondly, that you have a decent microphone. Something in the road or blue Yeti quality is ideal. Talking of voice talent, I would like to thank those who have given their voice to this episode. Returning in the role of Clem is Michael Phillips. And making their debuts on the show, voicing Lilia is Braden Rogers, and the man in the cave was played by Ben Hodges. All are part of my regular in-person gaming group, 
who kindly agreed to contribute. And what a contribution. Thank you all. I greatly appreciate it. You can also help by liking or retweeting new episode announcements or recommending the show online or to a friend. I'd also love to know what you think of the show and I do respond to every message I receive. So with that in mind, you can contact me on Twitter at LegendBones, Instagram at LegendOfTheBones, email at LegendOfTheBones at gmail.com or go to LegendOfTheBones.blogspot.com for show notes, character profiles, maps and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventurers as the bones decide their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone.